Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. My bookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me for this episode is Will Miles from his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, it was the last game of the season, and uh, I got asked plenty of times from the uh, Harmonic Woods crew tailgate uh, uh, group that uh, want to know where Will Miles was because it's the last game of the season and he didn't make it to a game this year. No, it was disappointing. <laughs> didn't have an opportunity. I got down right after the Miami game to Gainesville and that sort of took up my vacation time and my funds. But, uh, you know, we'll make it down for one one next year and maybe even make it down for the Orange Bowl if Florida can make it there. I'm hoping that, uh, that that'll be able to work out. But uh, it's starting – I told you – I think I told you via direct message yesterday that I know it's the off season now or at least we're past the uh, past the end of the season because immediately after the Florida State game, it was snowing up here and I was arguing about recruiting. So, <laughs> so pretty much that's the next six months. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good time uh, at the tailgate. It was the it was the the season finale, and uh, it was good. That it was a night game. We had uh, you've been to the tailgate before, so it was a uh, loud music and a laser show all the way up till about six fifteen. Uh, so uh, fun time had by all. Uh, you know that that crew there at five o'clock in the morning for a night game. So uh, you know it was a, a good time had. Uh, I'm glad everybody who got to stop by say hello. Uh, you know, this season as as well, not just for that game, but the, the entire season as well. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Mayor puts on a good show there. So at uh, the Harmonic Woods tailgate. So well, good shout out to those guys here at the beginning of this episode uh, for another great season of tailgating. And uh, well, you know, you just you pair that up with a football game. And it doesn't get any better. No, I mean, like you said, I've been to that tailgate. It's an awful lot of fun. And then. You know, you get to scream with 90,000 of your best friends there in the stadium and when it's Florida State and Florida's putting them away like they are in the swamp. Hasn't happened in a decade there in Gainesville and, and was able to to put it away and put it away early. And that, that's sort of, I think, what we wanted to see is we said if they step on their throat early, Florida State won't really have a shot. And, and that's what happened in the game. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get into uh, some of the Florida, Florida State talk, get Will's thoughts on that, uh, his latest article there uh, in detailing uh, his thoughts on Florida, Florida State and what Florida did, you know, so well in that game to put that game away early, like he said, uh, as well. But the big news, of course, we'll hit on. Uh, the main theme of this episode is on Sunday, you know, Felipe Franks uh, announcing that he will be leaving the University of Florida. But before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown, you'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there and News 4 Jacks' coverage of the Gators. Also, listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Some of you are listening on YouTube live right now, so thank you so much for that. When using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators breakdown and later on this week we'll get the final edition of talking with troop where former Gators tied in Ben troop joins me 
Uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, Florida, Florida State, and the Gators moving forward under Dan Mullen. So, as I mentioned, uh, yep, Will, it's been a it's been an emotional couple of days for Gator Gator fans here. You know, dating back to Saturday versus Florida State, it being the last game of the season, we said goodbye to many of the seniors playing in their last game in the swamp. And then on Sunday, we get a message from quarterback Felipe Franks announcing that he's leaving Florida. And, uh, of course, you know, nice heartfelt message there from Franks. And uh, it read, uh, Gator Nation has been my dream to play at the University of Florida to play for a top program and contribute to winning games. And I've been so fortunate to meet as many amazing people as I have being here, coaches, players, and fans as well. My heart will always be part of the Gator family. Coach Mullen and Coach Johnson have meant so much to me, and I want to thank both of them for putting their trust in me. I also want to thank Mr. Jeremy Foley and Mr. Scott Strickland as well, as everybody inside the football facility has always had my back no matter what. My heart is heavy. There will be a lot that is missed. I plan on exploring my options of entering the NFL draft or playing my final year, final year elsewhere. Thank you, everybody, for believing in me, especially all my teammates I've played with here. Once a Gator, always a Gator. And so that, you know, this thing will, uh, unfortunately, uh, to be the most likely outcome once he went down uh, versus Kentucky and Kyle Trask came in and played so well. Uh, you know, you, uh, Nick DeLatore, yourself and I kind of you know, discussed this whole situation uh, a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, he wasn't going to be able to take part in spring practice due to injury. Uh, so, you know, it would have been tough to see him as the starter next season. Uh, I don't blame him one bit. Uh, for wanting to explore his options here. He's given his heart and soul into being the quarterback at the University of Florida. Uh, you know, and he leaves a mark at the University of Florida as being the, the quarterback that helped Florida football turn around under Dan Mullen. Uh, he took to Dan Mullen and, and changed his play style because of what the team needed. Uh, he didn't imagine himself being used as a battering ram, a battering ram at times. Uh, you know, the style of quarterback that he was originally signed under Jim McElwain, it was not even close to that. But uh, but here he was last season, and, and as the season went on, uh, being that willing runner Dan Mullen mentioned so much and, and often, and and taking Florida to, to to blow out wins versus FSU and Michigan to end last season, but. Most importantly, besides all that stuff on the field, he you know he cared about being a Florida Gator, uh, and he wanted and tried and worked so hard at being the quarterback at the University of Florida. And look, that's all we really could ask for from Felipe Franks. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear that he improved. I think it's clear, and, and I think it's also it's interesting. I'm not sure people necessarily think about the fact that he won the starting quarterback job in 2017. He won it in 2018. He won it again in 2019. So he's been. He's really been the incumbent starter for three years. Now there were some questions around whether he should be in, in 2017 and early in 2018, but you know we've seen him steadily improve. We've seen him become a better quarterback, and you know I think Trask, from the standpoint of being a pure pocket passer, I think was maybe more advanced than Franks. But there's a reason that Franks was playing over him this year, and at least at the start of the season. And and obviously you have the unfortunate injury, but this is this is the logical conclusion I think that most people thought was going to happen, just because you've got Trask who's sort of proven himself as the incumbent. You've got Emory Jones who's going to push Trask, and then you've got Anthony Richardson coming in as well. And at some point. Um, someone was going to have to be the odd man out and not being able to compete for that job in the spring was really going to put him behind the eight ball. And, and, you know, you don't necessarily know whether a, whether he'll be fully recovered by the time fall camp comes around either. And so Florida wasn't going to be able to rely on him. I don't think, or at least with a whole lot of certainty, they weren't going to be able to guarantee him anything. And so it certainly makes sense that he would look to go elsewhere and, and explore his options. And, and and with this, you know, it came a day after uh, Florida's last game uh, in the season finale against FSU. And, you know, I tweeted this out there, too. Uh, giving kudos for, for waiting until after the season to announce as well. You know, he he could have done it before the before the last game. He could have done it during the season, and it would have garnered headlines. And you know, that would have taken away from what the team was doing and, and the focus that goes into preparing for games. You know, one last stand-up moment from him. And, I mean, you go back to the HBO documentary that was on Florida, and you had – you know, Mama Mullen, you know, Dan, of course, Dan Mullen's wife, Megan Mullen, you know, making sure that she could take care of him during during the surgery time and you know, bringing him food. And you could see, go back to that and how much it all meant to him. And, you know, he's breaking down in front of the cameras and that's there. He's hanging out with his teammates. You saw how much his teammates loved him. You saw how much the coaching staff loved him and, and all that. So it just, you know, it, always a stand up guy, always had to take a whole lot of criticism, always had to get thrown under the, well, not always, but 
got thrown under the bus under by, by Jim McElwain at, at, at times there. So you know he he had to go. We, we talked about those seniors, and then he came in with a lot of those seniors uh, that we were getting to say goodbye to on Saturday night. We talk about uh, everything that you know they stood for, and a lot of those guys, you know, as I said, came in with him, and uh, you could just tell the the camaraderie that uh, was between them and, and, and Felipe Franks. Yeah, I wrote about this in an article I released today, just talking about Franks and when he went to the program and and sort of my take on on the criticism that he took and whether that was fair or unfair. But, you know, putting aside the football ability, I think one of the things that you have to admire is that, you know, when, when McIlwain was, was getting up to the podium and blaming his players and then blaming the fans, Franks was up at the podium saying that he needed to do a better job and he was sort of shouldering the burden for all those guys in the locker room. And I think people were surprised maybe when Franks won the job in 2018 under Mullen because they expected either Emory Jones to get a shot or they expected just something different than Felipe Franks because he wasn't necessarily a perfect fit for the offense. But one of the things when you go back and think about it is – you know, he was probably just from the standpoint of the amount of trust that he built during that 2017 season with his teammates. Um, you know, the the camaraderie there. I, I think that's something that maybe we underestimated going into that 2018 season, because you know he did take the bullets for everybody. He did shoulder that burden. He was the lightning rod of criticism, both on Twitter and elsewhere. And you know, the the other guys who weren't necessarily playing very well in 2017 didn't have to get any of the criticism because it all fell on Felipe Franks. And they knew that in 2018, or they knew that this year, if things went south, if things started to go poorly, he was going to shoulder that burden. And really, that's the kind of teammate that you want. That's the kind of teammate that you hope to be. I mean, that's the kind of thing you hope you teach your kids that, you know, you take responsibility for your for when you're not performing up to specification, you hold other people accountable internally, but externally, you make sure that everybody knows that it falls on you and I think I think that bodes well for Franks not just as a football player but as a person moving forward that he's shown those characteristics and and um, even when he wasn't necessarily playing fantastic really built um, a level of trust and a level of buy-in from from his teammates that I think then carried over when Mullen took over you know I mean on Friday or I'm sorry on Saturday night after the uh, after the after the game against Florida State Mullen commented on the seniors who all bought in but you know Frank's buying into Mullen coming in, I think, is a big part of why the team has been able to be as successful as they have. And sort of the selflessness that's permeated the team, again, I think those are characteristics that Frank has, Frank's has shown in his, in his four years there in Gainesville, and it's something that everybody should be very thankful for. And, of course, we'll have plenty of time, Will. Uh, but you know, it's pretty clear now I and mean, we can, we'll discuss it here a, l- a little bit. We'll have all the time in the world to talk about the uh, quarterback, uh, coming up for, for next season. But, you know, this does clear up the, uh, uh, the, the quarterback position uh, a bit after, you know, of course we got a bowl game left, but, uh, pretty much for the, the season's over with. And so heading into heading into next season, we have a, a pretty, uh, you know, it, the quarterback situation is a little more clear now. Kyle Trask, Emory Jones will be the only quarterbacks on the roster next season with any experience. Uh, if, if Kyle Trask is the guy next season, and everyone wonder what that means, everybody kind of wonders what that means for Emory Jones and his future at Florida. If he's not named starter, uh, does he also transfer? I mean, I, as I said a couple weeks ago, I don't see why. As you're almost as surely the as surely the the guy in 2021. If you transfer, you'd more than likely would have to, to sit out 2020. So to me, it just makes the most sense to me that if Trask is the starter, then he can still come in, play a bit, develop one more year under Mullen, uh, and then take the reins in, 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 in the, the the next season. Or maybe he's taken enough steps and, and there's a competition in the spring and he goes out there and wins the job over Trask. So look, this this offense without these senior wide receivers and, and P. Ryan is going to look different next season. The hope is the offensive line will get better, but that's an unknown. Uh, and I have confidence in Dan Mullen that he'll make whatever he has work. Uh, but in how all the pieces surrounding the quarterback come together can determine you know, who who is the guy next season. So uh, I think Trask is for 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 how well he played this season. Uh, but you know, it is certainly worth keeping an eye on and watching right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I think these guys are at a certain place. The question is, where are their ceilings? And if Trask can take a step forward in, you know, not necessarily like Joe Burrow did last year, but from the standpoint of Burrow got considerably better from his first year as a starter, which wasn't, you know, which was his third or fourth year in a program. And then now, obviously, Burrow, 
going to win the Heisman Trophy. And you don't necessarily expect that from from Trask, but you do expect him to be able to take a step forward. But you also expect that from Emory Jones, right? That the experience that he's gotten this year, being able to watch how Trask prepared behind Felipe Franks as a backup quarterback, but being prepared to be the starter. And, um, you know, and then obviously the running ability that he brings to the table as well. And then we've seen, I mean, it's a good position to be in, to have two quarterbacks in the quarterback room that you can trust and rely on and that you think can win you games. And we saw this year, both with Franks in terms of him going down and having Trask in the background, but then also in that game against Auburn, Trask went down and Emory Jones was a big part of sort of driving down and stabilizing the team after Trask went down with what looked to be a relatively serious knee injury. And thankfully he was able to come back from that, but still, um, you know, Emory Jones has seen how quickly he can be the starting quarterback, even if he ends up being a backup next year. So to your point, transferring probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It only made a lot of sense if Felipe Franks was starting, Kyle Trask was backing up and Emory Jones was third string again. You know, then it makes some sense because if you're doing it that way, you're kind of telling him what you, what you think about his prospects as the quarterback and you're sitting while you've got Anthony Richardson learning there as well. And so then you're going to have to compete with him, but that's the reality in the SEC. I mean, and if you're a quarterback, you're going to have to compete for the spot because there's only one ball to go around. And uh, and Jones has proven that he's got some talent, but as but Trask has too. And and I, I think it's a good position for Florida to be in to have two guys competing for that position, if both to push each other to push the team, but then to push the guys like Richardson who are coming in and, and going to experience that for the first time. And not only that, you know, another offseason where. Look, I mean, we all give Dan Mullen uh, a whole lot of credit for being able to figure out Leak and Tebow in that situation. But, you know, there were at times, we've talked about it ad nauseum, the, the, the quarterback rotation looked clunky at, at times this year. So another offseason, too, where you can work on that. You can you know work on situations that you where you think Emory would be better uh, suited to, to, to come in and maybe, you know, start a drive and finish a drive <laughs> or, or maybe pass the ball a little more. But we, we, we know all the fans' complaints there. Uh, we got the we, – we heard them as well. So, you know, it's, it's another offseason of um, figuring out the, the pieces on offense. There's a lot changing with this offense. The offensive linemen, of course, uh, you hope are, are a little more experienced. You'll have to figure out the interior a little bit more. You'll probably shuffle the tackles around as well. So uh, just because where where guys played you know, the four that are still going to be back next year, but just because of where they played at this year, don't, I don't think that necessarily means they'll play in those same spots next year. And as, as we said, you're losing – you know, you're losing P. Ryan, you're losing these senior receivers. So I mean, there's going to be a, a lot to figure out with this offense. Yeah, but I mean, that's been the way it has been in Florida for <laughs> Florida yeah. for the last decade, right? I mean, 2009, I think a whole lot of guys were coming back. And and that was sort of maybe the last time that, that there was as much certainty on the offense as there was this year coming in. And then obviously next year you're losing all the wide receivers, but I think there's quite a bit of certainty at quarterback. I mean, you know, regardless of which one of those guys wins the job, that there's going to be pretty solid play coming out of that position. As far as the, the Tebow leak comparisons that we've talked about, one of the things that I think maybe is underrated there is that Florida's had to figure this out on the fly because Felipe Franks had a completely different skill set than Kyle Trask. And so the way you would use Emory Jones to spell Kyle Trask is very different than the way you would use Emory Jones to spell Felipe Franks. And and so I, I do suspect that some of the things they probably prepared Emory Jones for all season long wound up sort of going out the window once once Trask was in there. And then it was and you know, to be honest, Mullen very clearly went away from the running game because he thought that was what he needed to do to move the ball. It'll be really interesting to see what happens on the offensive line over the next month before the bowl game mm-hmm. and see whether that means that they can incorporate Emory Jones in a bigger way. I mean, you can one of the things I think we were sort of waiting for all year, and they did it against Florida State a little bit, but was the fake run from the quarterback and then lofting it up over the linebackers when they come up. And they did try it against Florida State and Miss Tony, but you can't do that on third and nine. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you can, it's got to be like second and one, and then you have the ability to do that sort of thing. And there weren't a whole lot of second and ones in Gainesville this year because of it. And so I think some of those things limited what Florida was able to do with Emory Jones. And I suspect that the offensive line is going to take a significant step forward over the next month. But certainly when we talk about having a full spring camp, a full fall camp for those guys to gel together, I think we can expect them to be better too. Yeah. A lot of updates this episode too, of course. Uh, 
Felipe Franks wasn't the only player on Sunday to announce that he will be leaving the University of Florida. Tight end Lucas Crow also transferring. And uh, look, at, at the tight end position, you had the emergence of Kyle Pitts as, as being the receiver style of tight end. And, and with the struggles of the offensive line, it didn't really matter if you had a blocking style tight end with, you know, Kamori Gamble, Dante Lang out there, or, you know, this guy's not out there most of the time just because of uh, the, the style of the offense that was being played out there. So the, the next season, you, you you expect Keon Zipper to get more time as well. So, you know, going back to Crow, you know, he, he brought so much energy uh, to the team, really enjoyed being a Gator, always one of the first ones out of the tunnel, always, you know, big time jumping around, uh, Gator chomping. And so, um, and look, leave some great memories. Uh, the throwback pass the versus LSU last year to Franks last season, and, and then again this season versus Auburn to Trask to uh, pick up a important first down late in that game. So, Will, the, the tight end position has numbers here. I'll uh, be bringing in more next cycle as well. So, you know, hopefully, can, Kroll can go out there and, and find some success. Yeah, I mean, I think Kroll, one of the things is uh, because of because of his physical attributes and because of his limited time playing football, really, um, he was a little bit of a duplicate when it came to Kyle Pitts. I mean, once Kyle Pitts stepped up, a lot of the things that they maybe would ask Kroll to do were going to be – we're going to be duplicates. He wasn't necessarily doing something considerably different than what Kyle Pitts was doing out on the field. And so that meant that means he's going to be behind him. Right. And, and I'm not going to begrudge anyone going out and finding another opportunity someplace else, if they can get full, full levels of playing time, especially as a graduate transfer, just because, you know, we've seen what happened. I mean, Frank's is a great example, right? I mean, you go out there, you give your heart and soul to the team and you end up with an injury that, that is is terrible, but at the same time does end up costing you your starting job. And the same thing could happen to Curl if he goes out there. So, you know, you're healthy, you transfer to a place where you can get more playing time and you wish him the best of luck because he has been a part of some significant moments over the last couple of years. You mentioned the throwback pass. Um, it was good to see him get a catch against Florida State. Mm -hmm. and, and I think some of the dirty work that he was asked to do that maybe wasn't his bread and butter. I think he is going to prove next year that he's a little bit more of a catching a catching threat wherever he ends up. And that's not necessarily something that Florida used him at. Florida used him a lot more to do the dirty work while freeing up pits to go out and run the routes. And I can understand why a guy who fancies himself a pass catcher would, would want to find a different opportunity. In the day after beating Florida State, uh, Florida got some good news. Sunday Sunday was a busy day, Will. So <laughs> it, uh, you know, the staff landed some commitments uh, in front of some brothers here. And I mean, 2020, uh, you know, four-star defensive back Ethan Pouncey uh, and Texas Longhorns wide receiver Jordan Pouncey. The brothers here, uh, they came off some visits, uh, came off a visit to University of Florida over the weekend. So, and then ended up committing to the Gators. Uh, Ethan, of course, was a previous commit of Texas uh, there, and he ranks as the uh, number number. 151 overall prospect in the 2020 recruiting class and the number 10 cornerback and 24 seven sports offers this analysis of him quote, possess good height and length with a slender frame. We'll need to continue adding bulk. Once he gets to an FBS level of strength and conditioning program lacks verified times, but appears to have well above average to very good long speed has an easy gait and shows ability to run away uh, from the opposition in the open field is one of the more prolific pass defenders nationally in the 2020 cycle with eight interceptions and 21 pass breakups in just 12 games as a junior uh, there. That's what was his stats last year uh, has exceptional instincts and ball skills at cornerback shows high level anticipation in reading the receiver and jumping shorter routes triggers and breaks on the ball with outstanding quickness effortless, ever effortlessly. I can't say that effortlessly. Uh, locates and tracks the ball downfield, oftentimes finding the ball earlier than the opposing wide receiver. Ball skills are some of the best we've seen on video in the 2020 cycle. Plays with aggression and confidence, which also transfers over into defending the quick game and tackling in space. We need to continue adding strength to his frame to help in that regard at the next level. Can also continue improving his press man coverage. Projects as a multi-year starter with upside of developing into an early round draft pick. So, 
quarterback Torian, quarterback coach Torian Gray and, and Kewan Ratliff here uh, were instrumental here in, re- in reeling in the duo. Uh, Jordan Pouncey comes in at a graduate transfer at uh, the wide receiver position from the University of Texas there. So, you know, so there will be some chances for him to get on the field with all the losses at receiver. He redshirted in 2017, recorded no stats in 2018, and only caught two passes for 19 yards this past season. Uh, 24-7 sports ranked Jordan Pouncey as the nation's no, number 837 overall prospect in the 2017 recruiting class and the number third and the number 113 wide receiver uh that cycle so so said chance for him with all the seniors leaving that he can get uh on the field crack that rotation there uh, but we definitely have to prove more than what he did uh at, at texas but it uh, does look like will as far as um Ethan Pouncey goes at the for the Gators to get a star at the quarterback position. Yeah, I think when it comes to Jordan Pouncey, one of the places you should probably look to him to make an immediate impact is special teams. That's one of the places where the loss of a guy like Freddie Swain um, is something that Florida is going to feel. It was funny we had just talked maybe a week or two ago about Swain never dropping any any sorts of punts, and then and then yeah. he made the mistake where Florida State was uh, had too many men in the backfield, but but muffed a punt there. But there hasn't been one of those in Gainesville in a really long time, and. Those things go unnoticed because he didn't necessarily return the ball. Um, you didn't see a lot of touchdown returns from him. It wasn't a real dynamic punt return, but but those punt returns are important when the guy's back there catching the ball. And and guys like Jordan Pouncey can come in and make an immediate impact in those sorts of roles, even if they're not necessarily stars at the, re- at the receiver position. But like you said, he's going to get an opportunity to do some things in that space because of uh, – you know, because of because of all the defections and the guys who are leaving, and then when you get to Ethan Pouncey, I mean, I think I think one of the things we should say. I know there's a lot of criticism that goes around with recruiting with Dan Mullen, and I'm part of that in some respects. But they've got seven top 100 guys, and six of them are on the defensive side of the ball. So from a defensive recruiting perspective, they're actually doing a very very good job. You got Dexter at defensive tackle, Wingo at linebacker, Rogers at corner, Powell at defensive end. Then you got Isaiah Walker at offensive tackle, but then Ethan Pouncey at cornerback and Johnny Brown at defensive tackle. Those are all their guys who are in the top 200, and 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 Pouncey is is one of those guys. And certainly, I think we've all sort of suspected throughout the year that C.J. Henderson was going to go to the NFL. There's also been some discussion about Marco Wilson whether he'd go. I know there's probably some discussion now and some decisions to be made at the safety position as well with some of the guys who've been back there, Sean Davis and 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 Stewart and some other guys as well. So. It's possible it's going to be a pretty thin defensive backfield, and so Pouncey should have an opportunity to get on the field relatively quickly, particularly, you know, you mentioned some of his coverage skills. I think that's one of the things that uh, that they're going to need on the outside is a guy who can be a lockdown corner, and, and Pouncey certainly has the profile of a guy who can turn into that kind of player. And then some more good news uh, over the weekend. And dating back to last year's recruiting cycle is, you know, offensive lineman from the 2019 class, Wardrick Wilson, uh, says he'll, he expects to be uh, officially part of the Florida, Florida Gator team for the upcoming January spring semester. As he said, his visa issues have been resolved. Six foot four, 305 pounds was rated a four star offensive lineman, 372nd ranked player in the country, playing out of Miami, Carroll City, but from the Bahamas. So that's where the visa issues uh, come in there. Will, we know Florida needs all the offensive linemen they can get, and Wilson's uh, was a big one last cycle. Yeah, it's actually going to be interesting to see what, like, how Wilson works into the equation because there've been a lot of guys. I mean, Florida recruited an awful lot of offensive linemen last year. They didn't all make the field, <laughs> but yeah. you know, you had Ethan white, obviously who got out there, but you had Mark, Michael Tarquin who, who didn't get out there. William Herod, who didn't get out there very much. Um, Riley Simons and, and Kingsley Guacuan who, who didn't necessarily get out on the field an awful lot, but those guys have been developing now for an entire year in the program. Wardrick Wilson, obviously a little bit behind those guys, but um, you know, has the ability to to redshirt and develop and and sort of become more depth and and with all the offensive linemen they signed last year, it may turn out that we look back and say, hey, having that visa issue, obviously you never want anybody to have that sort of issue, but having that visa issue maybe wasn't a huge deal because it sort of spaces out some of those offensive linemen that they that they signed last year, and I think that's one of the things we've sort of seen in the initial stages of Mullen here at Florida is that he's struggled with having unbalanced, unbalanced departures. Um, 
each year, right? That that this year the offensive line was pretty much all brand new because of all the guys who left. And then next year he's going to have the same issue at the wide receiver position. And so starting to balance those things out is going to be an important thing to do so that you're losing one or two offensive linemen and have to and you don't have to break in a, a brand new starting five or that you're losing a receiver or two instead of having to replace everybody who's out there. And and I think Wilson coming in is is probably part of him being able to space those guys out. And then obviously He's a four-star guy, an offensive guard, and guard has been a space where Florida has struggled, particularly in the running game. Some of the pulls that are asked in the scheme um, that Hevesy that usually does a pretty good job of coaching, but requires sort of a mean streak. And if Wilson can show that, I do think he'll get some playing time, get some playing time early, because certainly there's an opportunity there. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, maybe maybe he can slide in at at tackle too. You know, we we've seen a lot of these offensive linemen for to be, be able to do uh, cross train these guys. So uh, you know, it, it's been very beneficial there, uh, there that you can find uh, offensive linemen that can do that. So Woodrow Wilson looks like he'll be on campus. Uh, you know, so he says there in January. So it's worth keeping an eye on. Uh, there. Uh, coming up later, we'll have uh, some Florida FSU talk. We'll go take a look back at the final game of the season, uh, and we'll get uh, Will's and I thoughts on the on the bowl game as well, and where where Florida can uh, be ranked heading into uh, tomorrow night's college football playoff rankings, and what that means uh, for the bowl game. But before we get there, you know, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between conference championship games this weekend, the NFL, NBA, and college basketball season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. doesn't matter if you're an experienced better or a first-time customer, MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. If you're the kind who likes to bet a little and win a lot, then try a parlay. Pick your locks for the week, put them, to, put them together in one parlay bet, and when they all come through, the rewards will be huge. So right now, MyBookie will match your first deposit by 50% all the way up to $1,000. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.ag. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. So we'll go back and looking at your article for the uh, big win versus FSU, forty to seventeen victory for the Gators, uh, and you made sure to point out, you know, what has happened the past two seasons here, <laughs> and uh, the Gators have totaled six hundred forty-four yards passing on sixty-eight percent completions, seven touchdowns, and no interceptions against FSU. And as we discussed earlier, you know, Felipe Franks was a big part of that last season. And we'll remember him lighting up FSU secondary last season and getting, you know, Florida's first win in quite some time versus the Knowles. Kyle Trash just did it again uh, on Saturday night. Um, Will, man, the gap. Talent gap may not be huge on paper. When do these two teams get on the field? It has been pretty big uh, the last two seasons. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, this is one of those things where I think development does make a difference, right? Like, we at under no circumstances do we believe that you don't need a good coach or that a good coach is something that a good on-field coach is something that that should be dismissed. We just sort of look at the recruiting and say, hey, that's a big component of being a coach at the college football level. And, you know, the the Gators have have struggled at the quarterback position really ever since Tebow left against Florida State I, last year in my preview it was it was just a you know there were games where Florida had like 80 yards passing and and a ton of interceptions and if you look at the previous I think it was four games I said in the article um, in terms of total yardage they they equaled that yardage in the last two under Mullen and and that's not just against Florida State I mean obviously Florida's offense is 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 much better under Mullen too I mean it was in the bottom hundred or it was in the hundreds in FBS uh, the three years under McElwain and Usmeyer it's been up in the mid 30s and and um, you know I think that's attributable to the quarterback play and particularly this year where there wasn't much of a running game and let's be honest they didn't even try to run the ball yeah. against Florida State I mean they had the one kind of well I guess it wasn't a reverse to Tony they had the one little uh, jet sweep to Tony where they threw him the ball so it would have been a pass but um, beyond that there wasn't a whole lot of the line of scrimmage other than the screen passes and you know at some point Mullen just said, this is who we are and, and went with it. And the team has been able to, to react to that. And, you know, Trask, I think 
I mean, Trask has thrown has been unbelievable in his ability to carry the offense this year. Um, you know, he's the reason they were in the game against LSU. He's really one of the reasons that they were still in the game against Georgia late, even though the offense was struggling at times, or at least continued to stall out, stall out at inopportune times. But again, against Florida State, um, in that second quarter, they put up 23, and it was like that. I mean, the the it was it was seven to seven at the end of the first quarter, and all of a sudden it was thirty to seven with you know within the blink of an eye, and and that's attributable to the, both the wide receivers and their capabilities. But you know, Kyle Trask has proven to be not just a backup quarterback, but proven to be a quality starter in the SEC, and you know, I think that's attributable to him and the work that he's put into it and his ability. But I think it's also attributable to Mullen and making sure that these guys are ready to go. And I'll go back to one play, and I, I highlighted it on yesterday's podcast as well with Will Salmon, and uh, you highlighted it in your article that the, the throw to Van Jefferson, where he, you know, he's having to sh- take a few steps to his right because he's feeling pressure a little bit behind him, and just the the dart he throws. I mean, the FSU defender not far at all from Van Jefferson is to the back of the end zone. The ball could have only been thrown there. He had to, like I said, he had to move his feet to get it there. I mean, that was. That was a big boy throw. That was, uh, as I said yesterday, if if not, you know, it was the best throw of the game. It might have been his best throw of the season. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I actually think his best sort of pocket awareness play was the one right before that yeah. where the defensive end for Florida State beat Florida's tackle. And Trask, six games ago, seven games ago, gets drilled in the back, the ball's fumbled, and Florida State takes it, and, and the game is completely different. But in this play – Trask felt the pressure, drifted to his right, and just threw the ball out of bounds before he got hit. And it seems like a very, you know, hey, it's a standard play to not take a sack, to not fumble the ball, to feel the pressure and move in the pocket. But the play you're describing, which is the play right afterwards, he sort of did the same thing, right, where he felt Mm -hmm. the pressure, moved away from it, manipulated the pocket so that he could throw the ball to Jefferson who was open and then laid it in there behind the the safety who was trying to scramble back because Florida State had sort of blown the coverage on that one. And and I think that more than anything maybe is the thing that we should take away from from this game in terms of looking at Trask and where he potentially can go as a starting quarterback. Because those, even though Florida State isn't a very good team, being able to man- manipulate the pocket, being able to feel pressure, being able to become more advanced in terms of having that clock in your head when you need to get the ball out. Florida State didn't have any sacks. And some of that is because of the offensive line, but some of that is just because Trask was getting the ball out. He was getting the ball out early and he was making the right decisions, getting the ball to the right place. And and I think that really bodes well for for Florida in the bowl game and then also next year as well. And definitely everybody needs to go check out uh, Will's article at Reading Reaction because you give kudos, Will, to a player that hasn't necessarily been talked about a whole lot on the defensive side of the ball and Zachary Carter. And not only this game, but I mean, his production late in the season, these last few games, uh, he lines up outside, he lines up inside uh, in a defense that won't, you know, really have a problem finding an edge outside pass rusher. We've seen it two years now where Grantham has no problem, you know, finding that type of person. But Florida may have unearthed something here in Carter where he can be a utility tool in this defensive line. Yeah, well, I mean, he started out first five games of the year, had nine tackles. He had a half a sack and a half a tackle for loss. Since then, he's got 16 tackles in the last seven games, 16 tackles with four sacks. So he's really stepped up. Um, he's really stepped up his ability, and he's, in in most circumstances, replaced some of the guys who were in there on the inside on third downs. And from a pass rush perspective, you know, there was a little bit of a lull there in the in the LSU, South Carolina, Georgia game in terms of being able to get pass rush. And over the last three or four games, certainly Florida's played a little bit worse competition. But at the same time, I think a lot of the reason they've been able to get to the quarterback is because Carter has been there at the end, which has allowed Grenard to spend more time at Buck, even with even with Jabari mm-hmm. Zaniga injured. But then he's also been able to slide inside. And then they brought in guys like Diabate and, and Bogle on the outside as well. So you've got a small guy, but then you've got a guy in the center who can hold the line of scrimmage in case there's a draw in case there there's a quarterback scramble those sorts of things and carter's proven adept at doing that and you know one of the things that you need in the grantham defense is a guy who's big enough to set the edge at defensive end because really the goal is to allow the linebackers to flow to the uh to the to the running backs and then allow the buck to do all of the pass rushing and if you get pass rush out of the guy who's lining up at end or the guy's lining up at tackle that's really just sort of an added bonus so to see that see that sort of 
Um, that sort of pass rush coming from Carter, I think, bodes well, particularly, like you said, if they can find somebody at the buck or if Diabate plays the buck next year, um, really sort of free him up to be the the disruptive force. And I mean, I'm not sure anybody's going to be, be able to replace Grenard because Grenard's been pretty yeah. special this year. But, you know, if, if you can find somebody who's who's got some of those abilities and maybe even Jeremiah Moon coming back and being able to show that um, not having to put that guy as your pass rusher at the defensive end really makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And Will, the last thing I'll highlight the, in, in your article here before we wrap up the episode, I'll have a, some, a few stats here to, to end the season, uh, with, with how Florida ended the season, some total season stats here. But uh, you made a case, and a strong case, and you don't have to twist me to Gator's arms, a Gator fan's arms here, of uh, making the case for Florida to be ranked ahead of Alabama when tomorrow, uh, most people will listen to this on Tuesday, but when the uh, next college football playoff rankings come out yeah well i mean it's important because if florida comes out ranked ahead of alabama then florida goes to the orange bowl so it's it's important i think just from the standpoint of perception of the program and those sorts of things it's also important because i want to go to the orange bowl so, so, <laughs> so, we, so we need here, florida here. to be ranked in front because i want to go to the orange bowl and, and drink with some of my buddies and and uh and and make sure we have a gators breakdown party down there but yeah. uh, you know i mean you look at it yeah, people are going to criticize Florida for Miami and Florida State. They're out of conference opponents, not necessarily being that great this year. But I mean, okay, come on. Alabama's was Duke. I know Duke, New Mexico State, Southern Mississippi, and Western now, Carolina. I mean, so, now Duke did beat Miami. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just for our own entertainment. Not <laughs> well, but again, I, I go yeah. back to if if you look at who if you look at who Alabama beat, their overall record was forty four and sixty four. Um, obviously, their their best win was Texas A and M, a seven and five team that um, I, I would say earned that seven and five record. They weren't necessarily that great. I know early in the year we talked about Kellen Mond, and during the offseason talked about Kellen Mond and whether he was like a top three quarterback in the conference. It turned out it wasn't even close. So really you look at it and they had two opportunities to win games against quality teams. They lost to LSU at home. And then they lost to Auburn on the road. So the losses were against teams that were 21 and three and the wins were against teams that were 44 and 64. Now, if you look at Florida's ledger, they had wins. If you take out the FCS games, they had wins against teams that were 48 and 48. So 500 versus a 40% winning percentage for Alabama. And the losses were against teams that were 23 and one. And that, and that's sort of where you hang your hat. If you're Florida, you know, you lost to two teams that are really, I mean, you lost to the two teams that are in the SEC championship game. And really, I think put up just as good a showing against LSU, but there, that one was on the road mm -hmm. and lost by a touchdown to a Georgia team on a neutral site and then beat the Auburn team that just really took it to Alabama. And, you know, I, I know that that game was close. I know it was a field goal and Alabama had the opportunity to tie it at the end. But, you know, the, the reality is, is that Alabama was really struggling to stop Auburn's offense and granted the pick sixes and those sorts of things, I think made that game something that swung it in Auburn's favor, but those things count. Right. And if you look at Florida's win over Auburn, it's not as if Florida didn't have any turnovers. I mean, mm -hmm. he had Kyle Trask in his first real trial by fire, there getting sacked and he had three fumbles and, and, uh, you know, then there was the fumble by Pierce when he got hit real hard and got knocked out of the game. So four turnovers against Auburn, and they still won 23-16, to 16, and it wasn't even really that close. So yeah, I, I look at it and I say head-to-head -head has to count for something. I mean, there are yeah. some people talking about Auburn jumping over Florida, and I'm like, well, wait, they lost three games. Yeah. And, I mean, granted, they beat Oregon, but you know, Florida shut them down. I don't know how you can, and, and that wasn't one of those games where it's like, well, if that a game, if that game had been played in Jordan Hare, Auburn wins the game. I, I don't think that's true. I think Florida no. still wins that game if they play it in Jordan Hare. Now, obviously, the Auburn Alabama rivalry sort of revs things up, and maybe that, and then obviously Alabama also lost the quarterback, and so it was Mac Jones' first start, but or first first start against a quality opponent. But um, again, that's all part of it, right? I mean, it's not yeah. as if Florida played Auburn with their starting quarterback. There, so. there you go. Yep. So again, I, I, th I think you just look at both resumes and the only reason that you put Alabama in front of Florida is because Alabama was good in 2012 or 2015 or 2017. Yeah. Like nothing they have done this year indicates that they are a, a higher quality team than Florida is. And if you're going to have a committee looking at resumes and trying to decide where to put people, I don't know how you can look at these two resumes and not have Florida come out in front. And, you know, I mean, if it was close, I'd tell you it's close, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and if they'd have played, 
you know, Oregon to start the year and had beaten Oregon, I think it's a different story because then you've got a big win over a Pac-12 team. Like if this was, if it was Auburn who was ten and two, yeah, I think it would be a very different story. But it's not Auburn; it's ten and two. It's Alabama, and and Alabama hasn't won it, hasn't hasn't earned anything in twenty nineteen. And I think that's hopefully the thing that the committee will take into account is that had they beaten Auburn, I think they, I think you could make a case that they beat a quality team and that at 11 and one, maybe they deserve a shot at the playoff, but even that was going to be a rough one just because of the quality of their schedule. And I think with this loss to Auburn, clearly from a ranking perspective, Alabama should be behind Florida. The only place, the only reason they'd be ranked in front is because I do think that the betting line, Alabama would be favored if they played if they played Florida on a neutral field. But yeah, they would be. Yep. But at the same time, I mean, do you have confidence that yeah. I think I'd go into that game with a whole lot more confidence yeah. than I have playing Alabama in the last decade? Yeah, because absolutely. This team clearly has proven that they are gettable, that they make mistakes, and with Mac Jones in there, who knows? Absolutely. So, like, we'll take a look at last week's college football playoffs rankings as kind of the the guide here, but of course, Ohio state, LSU, Clemson, those are your top three. Um, you're probably going to stay that way after this week. Uh, I, I'm picking the LSU to, to beat uh, Georgia and Ohio state to beat Wisconsin there. So I think your, your top three stays there. Uh, then you got Oklahoma Baylor, uh, the winner of that game, and Utah fighting for that four spot. But that doesn't really affect Florida uh, in the Orange Bowl here. Minnesota was eight last week. They lost. They'll drop below Florida. Uh, so basically, Baylor, his, you know, Penn State's the tricky team that could ruin Florida's chances at a Rose Bowl if they don't get the Rose Bowl. I think they'll get the Rose Bowl since Ohio State is going to represent the Big Ten in the college football playoff. They'll take the next highest-ranked team. That would be Penn State. You know, Wisconsin will probably jump Florida after beating Minnesota last week, but they'll get slacked by Ohio State, fall right back below Florida uh, there. So, you know, the the Orange Bowl will have to take the higher-ranked Big Ten or SEC team. So that's why I think Penn State going to the Rose Bowl will help Florida because that will leave Florida as the higher-ranked Big Ten or SEC team uh, to take on an ACC team that the uh, Orange Bowl is contracted to take. Yeah, so that's a big mouthful. I know. I know Thomas Bullcamp <laughs> over at Twenty Four Seven wrote a really nice article that sort of laid out all of these laid out all of these situations. And you know, worst case scenario, I think Florida ends up in the Cotton Bowl. Um, but yeah. then you're then you're playing a Memphis or Cincinnati or something like that. And you know, while I love seeing Florida play and I like seeing them in a major bowl game, I'd much rather see them play a Power Five team from the ACC. And and then I'd like and to, it's harder to get to. Ab- absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> that's that's absolutely true. But you know, I, I think the the thing that's I guess the thing that most people should probably take home from this is that unfortunately, you probably need to be rooting for Ohio State this weekend yep. because the thing that would really throw a wrench into things is if. Wisconsin beats Ohio State and all of a sudden now Ohio State isn't going to drop below Florida. Wisconsin, if they beat Ohio State, will be in front of Florida and Penn State already is in front of Florida. And that's go. that's sort of where you end up in a situation where Florida stops starts dropping on the on the bowl schedule and, just because there's so many Big Ten teams that'll be in front of them. Right. And that's the one we have to watch too, because you know, then Wisconsin may get the Rose Bowl. Uh, and then, as you said, Penn State, the orange. So that's why I think it's really important to watch because Penn State did struggle versus Rutgers for a lot of that game this past weekend. So maybe there's a chance Florida jumps them anyway, but still worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, well, it's interesting. It, the Alabama loss helps Florida from the standpoint of Alabama should drop below them. But I also wonder if it helps them because Auburn is now viewed in a much more favorable light than yeah, they would have yeah. been if they were an eight and four team. Right. So the, the committee has said they want to look at the whole body of work. Well, and the committee would have looked at last week and they would have said, eh, Florida beat an Auburn team. That's going to be kind of borderline top 25 after they lose by Alabama, by three, yeah. Alabama, by three touchdowns, all of a sudden they beat Alabama and maybe the committee goes, huh? That win was a lot more quality than we thought, and then takes another look at, well, you know, they were really close to to LSU there until sort of late in the third quarter, and even early in the fourth had not, or late in the fourth had an opportunity to tie that game. And Georgia, they only lost by a touchdown. That game was a lot closer than maybe than than maybe people thought. I, I can see somebody making a case to move them, but I think they're going to be loath to put them in front of Penn State. I I really think that the reality is is that. 
as hard as it's going to be because I hate them. I, I think I'm going to have to root for Ohio state this weekend, just because mm-hmm. I, the Wisconsin wrench is the Wisconsin yeah. win would, would really put the monkey wrench into things. I don't think you can rely on the committee dropping Penn state. I think they're going to be pretty consistent in terms of having them up above them, uh, up above Florida. And so, yeah, got to, got to root for the Buckeyes this weekend and hold our nodes while we're doing it. <laughs> absolutely there so i will some last uh one last look at some numbers here for 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 the season some season numbers here dan mullen is the first head coach in program history to win 10 games in each of his first two seasons uh remarkable there well you know you had spurrier you had meyer uh there you know mcelwain his first two good years as well as well but uh those were 10 and nine win seasons dan mullen the first one with 10 um the 10 10 wins in his first two seasons yeah, you got to be a little bit careful with that just because they played a lot less games back when Spurrier was there. That, that's so. very true. And, and, and McIlwain did have a canceled game. Yes. You know, would have got 10 as well. But, you know, just for the, the sake of it, there it is. Absolutely. I mean, it happened, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's a significant thing, especially considering sort of the inconsistency that Florida had shown under Muschamp and under McIlwain as well. I think next year is really going to be the place where you can look at it. if Florida puts nine or 10 wins on the board again next year, then it's a considerable step forward because they had a couple of good years under Muschamp and then bam, you have that one four and eight season. You have a couple of good years under McIlwain and then bam, that four and seven season. So next year, and and I know uh, David Wonderlick over at Gator Country has done some work where he's looked at sort of the third year step back for some of these coaches where the attrition of the next to last recruiting class and then the transition class when they come in and not and a lot of those guys sort of not sticking with the program or not developing the way you might like because it's put together so quickly really has an impact in that third season so Mm. um you know we'll see i I think mullen's gonna obviously have to do a good job next year i have confidence he will Um, but that's the one where i'd look at it and say everybody ever all these other coaches who have not made it um, showed a drop off in year three. Even Urban Meyer showed a drop off in year three, yeah. but it was obviously a lot less severe than the drop off of McElwain and a drop off in year three, and you had a quarterback win the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, hey, I'll, I'll take it, man. If they if they go nine and three next year and trash coins the Heisman, yeah, <laughs> I'll take it because I think that bodes well for for twenty twenty one. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you can't take anything away from him, right? He's got an opportunity to get to twenty one. Um, and anytime you win 11 games or 10 games in the SEC, I think it's a big deal. And and certainly from where the Florida program has come to how people feel about it now, I don't, you know, last year, I think there were some times in, in the game against Georgia, it felt like Florida was outclassed. In the game against Kentucky, even in some respects, it felt like the Florida team was outclassed. There was not a game this year where I felt like Florida's team didn't have an opportunity to win and that they were completely outclassed. There were some things that I thought were questionable in terms of coaching decisions against Georgia. There were certainly, I I think Georgia was the better team, but at the same time, it wasn't like it was night and day. And then LSU, I think, has proven they're a really, really, really good team this year. And Florida stood toe to toe with them. And you know, if they had called a holding on on Tyree Cleveland there on the on the interception that Traz throws in the end zone, who knows what happens in that game? So I think that's really maybe the progress that we've seen this year is that Florida has been a worthy opponent for everyone that they've taken on, and and that's all you can really ask in year two. Obviously, the the Georgia the Georgia bugaboo is going to have to be taken care of eventually in the next year or two, but. Um, I'm not sure what else you could have asked for. If you'd have told fans the day that McIlwain was fired that they were going to hire somebody who was going to come in and win 10 games and the Cotton Bowl or on the Peach Bowl and then 11 games and the Orange Bowl in his first two years, I think you would have taken it. So if Mullen can pull off that Orange Bowl victory, then um, you know, I, I think, again, going back in time, everybody would have taken it. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought that up with – you know, the close games with LSU and Georgia and, and and what that meant as far as telling what kind of team this was. But, heck, I remember going into the preseason and asking fans, you know, what they wanted to see as far as a, a step forward this year. And it was beating the teams you're supposed to beat. Well, Florida did that. And Florida did it in, in, in a lot of fashion at, at some points. I know it was the, the slow start versus Miami uh, and the comeback win versus Kentucky. But then, you know, you had some – you blew out – Missouri and Vanderbilt teams that you were kind of worried about because you didn't know how the team would respond after uh, after the Georgia games there's you know, the big win versus Auburn so you know, the games that you were supposed to win you won yeah you know I mean I, I think that's that really is maybe the return of the Gator standard at least the first part of it is that you shouldn't be eking out you know 
10 to nine wins over Vanderbilt on an Austin Harden field goal. You shouldn't be struggling with Missouri every time you go to Columbia. Like people shouldn't be concerned about that 11 a.m. kickoff. The game ought to be at 11 a.m. because everybody knows it's going to be a 42 to six slaughter, right? right. <laughs> and and that I think is what we're getting back to with Mullen. Is it completely there yet? No, it's not. But I think the fact that that's the expectation, um, I can remember going to Florida in 2000, 2001, and those last couple of years with Spurrier, I mean, you didn't even watch when they were playing South Carolina if you weren't going to the stadium because it was, it was 40, 42 to nothing by the end of the third, by the end of the second quarter. And, and Mullen has brought that back in some capacity. And, and I think, again, that's the first, I mean, I guess the first step was the offense being fun again. Yep. The second step is taking care of the opponents that you're supposed to take care of. And then the third step is competing with the big boys. And that's really sort of the next step he's going to have to take. We're not there yet, but I think this year was a pos- a step in that positive direction, certainly. And parts of that uh, process, you know, the Gators had seven 300-yard-plus uh, passing games in a season, the most since 2001, when they accomplished that eight times. Trash threw for 275-plus yards for the fifth time uh, against FSU. And that became uh, the first Gator to do that in the season since Tim Tebow did that in 2007. Uh, 11 games of 250-plus passing yards for the first time uh, since 2001 when the Gators threw for 250-plus in all 12 games uh, there. So uh, big, big, uh, big time there for uh, just the passing game uh, as a whole. Florida had 400-plus yards uh, of total offense in 10 of its last 15 games and 12 times in Mullen's 23-game tenure as a head coach. 10 of the last 15 there of uh, over 400 yards. Florida's outscoring its opponents 230-79 to in the second half this year, including outscoring teams 119-29 to in the fourth quarter. And uh, lastly, Gators defense only allowed 33 points at home all season long, Will, an average of 5.5 in six games. Only three touchdowns the home crowd got to see opponents score this season, Will, in the Swamp. Auburn with one, FSU with two. I mean, hey, look, there was another step that we talked about this team needed to take. Florida went undefeated at home this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, protecting the Swamp is a big part of it. And you know, I think one of the things that's going to earn them the Orange Bowl bid, I hope, is that the losses that they incurred were against very good teams, and it was away from home. And I think that's one of the differentiators when you look at Alabama is that Alabama didn't take care of themselves at home. Even though it was to a good LSU team, they still got beat, and that game wasn't particularly close. Um, it, the score is a lot closer than the actual game was. But, you know, you go back to Trask, I look at it, so his quarterback rating for the year was 159.2. So that's that's borderline elite. At a passing level, I mean, you know, Tim Tebow was up around 170 for his career. You're sitting there at 160 for Trask. Very, very, very good through the air. Yards above replacement, the stat I've come up with to try to describe quarterbacks has him at 0.28. So well above average, better than Felipe Franks last year. Um, And again, when you consider the limiting... The, the limited success that they had in the uh, in the run game, I think that really speaks well to uh, I think that really speaks well to Trask and, and his abilities and potential for next year. All right, well, man, um, I mean, of course, you and I will we'll still have some episodes uh, every, you know, every week coming up. But uh, this was our last uh, time getting to get together two days after a game. Uh, here and uh, look, we'll get together next week on Sunday. Will and I will get together right after the uh, Florida gets uh, a bowl game announced uh, there. So we'll uh, jump on here and uh, give our thoughts of where Florida gets placed uh, in the bowl selection process. Hopefully it's one of those New Year's Six games and hopefully it's the Orange Bowl, like we said. But uh, there's only really three options here for Florida, the way you're looking at it. Orange, cotton, or citrus. Uh, Really about the only three options for the Gators uh, here. So uh, you know, orange versus an ACC. You're looking at uh, versus Memphis, maybe Boise State, maybe Cincinnati there uh, in the Cotton, and then of course uh, versus a Big Ten team uh, in the Citrus. But uh, Will, man, it's been uh, been another fun season, man. Absolutely. I mean, you look up and you just wonder where it went. Right. right. Like, I mean, it's, it's week after week after week and you feel like you're busy because you're always trying to break down film or try to understand what's going on with the team and, and interacting with the fans and really thank Thank you everybody for interacting with us this year. But um, you wonder where it goes and you, and, and, 
it, it just one more season in the books and certainly a successful one this year. So it's been an awful lot of fun, but like you said, we're not going anywhere. We'll be talking about the bulls next week. And then early signing day is, is on my yep. 15th wedding anniversary. So we're going to have to do something a little bit early. <laughs> so I don't end up with a divorce. And, uh, and before we know it, we'll be at signing day in February and talking about the quarterbacks in the spring battle and all that sort of stuff. So, um, there's always something that's going to keep you, keep you entertained when it comes to this team. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, one more in the books. It's been a fantastic season, but I'm looking forward to what they can do in the bowl game and breaking that down too. There's never a dull moment. So then, uh, always plenty to talk about with, with these Florida Gators. Uh, well, what you got coming up this week, uh, reading reaction and then probably, uh, like me, going to be, uh, dialing it down just a little bit coming up. A little bit, but there's some recruiting stuff that needs to be done. There, there's, there has been, so last year there was an awful lot of recruiting talk in season this year. Um, I haven't had near as much just because, you know, we've set our piece about where things need to go. But at the same time, I think it's important to let people know where Florida is and where they can expect them to end up and sort of what what to expect if they hit their targets and what to expect if they don't. So I'm um, going to be looking at that in the next week or so and and uh, probably some recaps in terms of what I've seen on the offensive and, de- offensive and defensive side of the balls ball last year. Um, Last year, I spent an awful lot of time breaking down Frank's throws, and I think I'll probably go back and do that with Trask, too. So going to be a lot of different things going on, and uh, certainly want to want to make sure that we stay engaged and that people have an opportunity to read stuff about this team because it's a lot of fun. Now, one thing about uh, looking at the uh, film review uh, of Kyle Trask, a lot more throws. It's going to take a little while. <laughs> well, that's where – shout out to Lib Gator. That guy puts up like 15-minute splices on the offensive and defensive plays. So you can see every offensive play in about like 12 minutes of each game. So <laughs> helps out when you're doing charting and things like that because uh only takes you 12 minutes to get through a three-hour game. So uh, so thanks to him and certainly go support him on, on Patreon if you get the opportunity. Absolutely. does great work there and uh, getting this condensed version down uh, out there on YouTube. And uh, as Will said, letting us uh, rewatch a game uh, pretty quickly. So that's Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.